listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church, located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation, visit AntiochEast.com. But when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, rarely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, this almost seems like one of those verses where Paul just goes off in wonder, love, and praise. But I want to tell you, there is a glorious uh, organization to these verses. For when we were still without strength in due time. The gospel story was no willy-nilly, thrown together, plan B. Because the Jews crucified Jesus and the Romans helped them, did not thwart God's plan. It was part of it. And in Jesus died exactly when he meant to, in the exact way, by the exact plan that had been made before the foundations of the world. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. That's good stuff. And so we talk, number one, his death was timely. His death was timely. The ESV and the NASB said at the right time. The HCSB is my favorite. It says at the appointed time that he died for us. And so we did a long sermon on that last time we were together. And I'm going to go quickly. My second point is this. First point, his death was timely. But second, his death was loving. God demonstrated, God showed, God revealed his love to us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now we're fixing to look at two patterns of, or, or a series of statements about what God has done to save us, but we must see the first series of statements that it is all based on, and I did put this in my outline uh, uh, for us to put up, and I should have, but it was a, uh, I forgot, I knew, I forgot, I meant to go back and put it in my sermon, but you just listen, follow along with me, look at your Bible, look at verse 6, he died for us. He died for us. Verse 8, he died for us. Verse 9, by his blood. Verse 9 again, through him, a reference to his death. Verse 10, again, through the death of his son. Verse 10, by his life. He only uses that one time, but I had to put it in there. And last of all, verse 11, twice, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, referencing his work at Calvary and rising from the grave. Now, 
Do you not understand that in these short verses, Paul has mentioned in verses 6 through 11, he has mentioned 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 times the death and resurrection of Christ. I think he wants you to get it. That the love of God, the grace of God, the effectiveness, and I just gave you my outline today, of salvation is because Jesus died for rotten, filthy sinners like you and me. That's the basis. So first of all, we see these series of words about the death of Christ. That's the basis of everything else in these verses. His love is proved because he died in your place took your sin upon himself, took the wrath of God upon himself for you. His death was loving. And that ought to get an amen. Josh McDowell, I used to love Josh McDowell back when I was a youth pastor, and he was a great apologist. Still today, one of the greatest books you can get, uh, you ought to get it, Evidence that demands a verdict. It's a great book. You ought to get it. But Josh McDowell pointed out in his book, Givers, Takers, and Other Kind of Lovers, and he, he, he believes that there's three basic kind of loves, and I agree with him. I see this. Now, this is not, you can come up with others too, I guess, but I see three ways people love. Two are bad, one is good. <laughs> Number one, he says there's love if. Love if. I will love you if you'll buy me candy. I love you if you cook me steaks. I love you if you will uh, do this or that. If you'll buy me or give me money or buy me things. I love you if you stay good looking. So far, honey. <laughs> so far. I love if. It's conditional. Or here's the big one, I love you because. I love you because you're so handsome. I love you because you're so pretty. I love you because you've got lots of money. I love you because you smell good. I love you because you look good. The problem with that kind of love is eventually everybody gets wrinkles. Everybody's hair either turns gray or turns loose. Amen. Mine has done both. <laughs> to, to, to love someone based upon because is a very, very temporary love. What if God had said, I love you if you will keep my commandments? He said, but he did. Didn't he? No, he said, I love you in spite. And that's the third one. In spite of the fact that you cannot keep my commandments. In spite of it. He didn't love us if. He didn't love us because of. He loved us in spite of. He loved us when we didn't do the ifs. He loved us when we couldn't do the because ofs. That's when God demonstrated his love. He sent his son in this filthy world. Born of a virgin. With all of the things that human beings have to do. And are, are, are suppressed by. And, and the foxes had holes. The birds had nests. But the son of man had nowhere to lay his head. He had to eat he had to sleep he had to do all the things he 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 he, did, he 
Although he was God, he didn't consider himself uh, to, to take upon those things. And he became a, in the form of a servant as a human being, and ultimately he died a willing death in your place. A sacrificial death. Let me tell you something. God knew, knew that we would fall, and yet he still loved us. He still created us because of love, so that he might demonstrate it by dying for us. Now listen to me. Listen. God had no reason to love you. None. God had nothing to gain from loving you. You do not increase or decrease his joy or his satisfaction. And yet he loves you. And he chose to place his love on you. By the way, that's love. That's love. You know why, why people go into divorce court? Because one or both people choose not to love. He said, well, I fell out of love. You don't fall out of love. You choose to get out of love. You choose it. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. As I said, not everybody is going to have that uh, young, youthful skin. Not everybody's going to smell good. Not everybody's going to look good. Not everybody, nobody is going to stay young. And you have got to love people on the basis of, I choose to love you. I lo Listen, there's a lot of reasons. Christy Owen's easy to love. There's a lot of reasons to love Christy Owen. But my friend, there's nothing in the world. I made a commitment. I said, I do. I meant my vows when I made them. And if she turns tomorrow and becomes an old nag, I'm still going to stay with her. And I'm going to love her. And let me tell you what you do. when you can't, It's hard to love someone. You love them based on this. You do it as unto the Lord. Now, I'm getting, I'm chasing a juicy rabbit here, but we might need it. God didn't love you because you're pretty. God didn't love you because you're nice. You weren't nice. You're a sinner. It was your sins that nailed his hands to the cross. And he kept on doing it. He had no reason to love us. He had nothing gained, but he loved us anyway. He chose to love. I love Ezekiel 16, 4 through 8, even following. I'm not going to read all of it. You'll go, you can go read that later. It's actually verses that God says about Israel. And I don't believe we're Israel. I don't believe the church is spiritual Israel. I believe we're one with Israel because we're saved. Everybody's saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And I think the same things that go for Israel go for us, and we get them inheritance through the blood of the Christ and being the bride of Christ. But he says this about Israel in Ezekiel, and the same can be said of you and I when God found us in our sin. The Bible says in Ezekiel 16 and verse 4, As for your nativity, your birth, on the day that you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. In other words, when you were without strength, when you were a sinner, when you were the ungodly, no eye pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field. Can you imagine a baby freshly birthed, cut 
the court and just thrown out into the field, writhing in the dust and the hay and the sticks and the stickers. When you yourself were loathed on the day of your, you were born, and when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your own blood, live. This is God seeing you struggling, hopeless in your own sin. And he cried out, live. And then look at verse 8. When I passed by you again, and I looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. Isn't that sweet? Hallelujah. Your time was the time of love, so I spread my wings over you, and I covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you, and I entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. That's what happened. Thank God one day I was smart enough to call on Christ. No, thank God one day God was gracious enough to pick you up out of your blood and out of your sin and to save you and set your feet on a rock. That's what happened. God loved you. He came to me when I was bound in my own sin. He came to me when I possessed no hope within. He picked me up. He drew me gently to his side, where today in his sweet love I now abide. He came to me. He came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. Long, you've heard me say this before, I'm going to do it again because I love it. Long and dark, the stairs I trod with trembling feet to find my God, gaining a foothold bit by bit, then slipping back and losing it, never progressing. But I was striving still with weakening grasp and faltering will, bleeding to climb to God while he serenely smiled, unnoting me. Then came a certain time where I loosed my hold and I fell thereby low, down to the lowest step my fall as if I had not climbed at all. And lo, as I lay despairing there, listen, a footfall on the stairs, on that same stair where I afraid, where I faltered and fell and I lay dismay. And lo, when hope had ceased to be, my God came down the stairs to me. That's the story, isn't it? It is God that set his love on us. Why, 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 why? That's a question this preacher will never be able to answer. Just because he wanted to. His death was, if it's loving, guess what? It's gracious. His death, number three, is gracious. Look at verse six. When we, number one, when we were without strength unmerited favor. He didn't die for us. He didn't save us. He didn't come to us when we were able, when we had enough, when we could. He came to us when we were without strength, which, by the way, would have been the way you'd have been until you died and went to hell. He came to us when we were without strength. He didn't say, what do you got for me? Because the answer would have been nothing. But he came in grace. Without strength, the word, the phrase without strength means exactly that. We were powerless to save ourselves. We were in debt. 
We were in the ocean and we could not swim. We were in debt and had no funds. We were in court and had no defense. We were terminally ill and we had no cure. But the great physician came near the sympathizing Jesus. He speaks the drooping heart to cheer. Oh, hear the voice of Jesus. Sweetest note of seraph's song. Sweetest carol ever sung. Jesus. Blessed Jesus. When we were without strength, when we had nothing, he saved us. Number two. When we were without strength, but number two, look at this. These series of things. I'm just using the scripture. He died for the ungodly. By the way, if you're looking at somebody else, quit. He's talking about you. He's talking about you. Quit looking down the pew at somebody else. He's talking about you. Everybody within the sound of my voice, everybody in front of the pulpit, and everybody behind it were ungodly. We're without strength. And when we were ungodly, I know somebody's going to say to you here all the time, I'm not ungodly. I'm a nice person. Oh, man, that sent more people to hell than anything else. I'm a nice person. I'm a pretty good person. Well, you may be better than me, but I'm not the standard. Amen? You got to be as righteous as Jesus to make it to heaven. Please don't tell me you think you're as righteous as Jesus. We were ungodly, destitute of reverential awe towards God, condemning God, impious, impious, or however you want to We were not pious. Let's put it that way. He said, wait, wait a minute. I wasn't condemning God. I would have never done that. Oh, yes, you would have. Yes, you did. By, by, by the way, before I go on further, you need to understand there's no definite article in this phrase. In other words, the Greek does not read, he died for the ungodly. The ungodly. Now, this is just a little note, but I think it's important. There's no definite article in the original. In other words, it should read, Christ died for ungodly. Or better yet, ungodly people, of which all of us are a part. You may say that I'm not ungodly. Well, I guess he didn't die for you then. You are ungodly. You are opposed to God. Now, you may have this really good moral uh, uh, conscience that was built because you had good parents. But my friend, you do not want God. You do not want the way of God. You make your, you rationalize your own righteousness. You rationalize what God will accept and what God will not accept. And you have your own, and you say, well, I'll tell you what, my God wouldn't send someone to hell. You're right, your God wouldn't because he's not the God of this Bible. And that's what we do. We rationalize our own sin and we create a God of our own liking. Well, I'm going to go on. We were ungodly. And despite that, guess what? Jesus thought it was good. Thought he would die for us anyway. He saw it a good thing to die for us. Number three, or C in your outline, while we were sinners. Now we know what sinners are. We know that word. We use it. It's basically another way of saying ungodly. By the way. It means missing the mark or coming short or rebelling against God or his commandments and his character. I know I do this all the time, but that's okay. You may hear it. Maybe someone here hasn't heard it, but I just want to prove to you you're ungodly. You are a sinner. You're without strength. How many have ever lied before? Say amen. amen. Now, that's everybody in this building except probably some liars. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we're all liars. We've lied. And here's what God said. Thou shalt not lie. 
Everybody in this building has taken the name of God in vain. You, use, you have used God's name for something other than prayer, praise, or preaching. If you have taken God's name in vain, you are a blasphemer. That's what the Bible says. And here's what God says about blasphemers. As a matter of fact, he says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain. You're a murderer. I've never murdered anybody. Oh, yes, you have. The Bible says if you've had hate in your heart, you're a murderer. I was listening to a sermon by John MacArthur the day. This was, was a great sermon about who's to blame for the riots. You ought to look it up. It's awesome. And he said, let me tell you something. People love to murder. If you give people the right to murder, they will do it. You say, well, surely people wouldn't murder. You give them the right to kill their babies in the womb, and look what they have done. Look what they have done. You give a nation the right to kill, uh, to kill one ethnic group as Germany did, and what they do? They did it. Six million of them, they did it. I want to tell you, man is a murderer at heart. He said, you're of your father the devil who's a liar and a murderer. And the only thing that keeps you from being murderous and being all total ungodly is the grace of God when he saves you. We are sinners. We are ungodly. We are without strength. And he says in verse 10, when we were enemies, enemies of God. Some sinners would say, some people would say, now, I may not go to church, brother on, but I'm not an enemy of God. I mean, I wouldn't call myself, I don't want to say that I'm an enemy of God, but you are. Some people are, are overtly wicked. You know what I mean? I mean, they're just outright wicked. There's some overtly outright wicked. There are some, some people who are anti-God. And then there are some that are just good old boys. A lot of South Arkansas people, all right? Just good old boys. You know, every once in a while, I'll go to church, and, and, and uh, we say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. We were talking about this earlier. And they, they respect their elders, and they're, they're good citizens, and they're just good old boys. And some are really nice people. They just don't do religion much. I want to tell you some of those things I just described, they are just varying degrees of rebellion. You let that sink in. Those are just varying degrees of rebellion. You take your life and compare it to the commands of God. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. Honor your father and mother. Didn't say good mamas and good daddies. It said your mother and dad, you honor them. You obey them. Thou shalt not uh, uh, commit adultery. Oh, I've never done. If you've lusted someone in your heart, you've committed adultery, Jesus said. All the commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Not satisfied with what God has given you. We want more and more and more. Let me tell you something. You may be a good person, but that is just a smaller degree of rebellion until you understand I must repent of my sin. I must confess that I'm a sinner and repent, and I turn to God in faith. And my friend, when you, find, you, when you finally do turn from sin and self and you turn to God in faith, you will find a welcoming, nail-pierced Savior.
Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. The reason, the reason a sinner might not think that he is an enemy of God is because he makes up his own standard of righteousness. And as I've said already, it is not your standard of righteousness you'll be judged by. It is God's standard of righteousness. Well, lastly, today, we're not going to get to the very last point, but the last point that we're going to cover today, his death was effective. <laughs> his death was effective. You say, Brother Ron, I don't like you. I don't blame you. <laughs> but I got news for you. I don't like you either. That's not true. You know that's not true. Now, someone might say that. I don't like brother so-and-so. I don't like sister so-and-so. I don't like them too much. I, you know, sometimes people, like I said, Chris and I, 22 years, we've never really fussed. We've had some intense fellowship, but we've never fought. <laughs> That's a tr I, you think I'm lying. I'm telling you the truth. If, if we've had a major fight, I don't know of it. We have a, I don't know. We just fit. And, and I realize, though, somebody marries somebody once in a while and finds out their personalities just don't quite match, and you have to do a little work. I suppose that's true. But uh, I, I love my wife dearly. But some people just can't get along. Some people rubbish. The Bible says, if at, at possible, uh, we ought to get along with every man. If possible. What happens if it's not possible? Well, I guess you should sit on one side of the congregation and let them sit on the other. But you ought to work at it. You ought to love everybody. But sometimes it's a struggle. You should never hate anyone and work at being able to get along. But here's the thing about it. You may not like me. You may not love me. You may hate me. But Jesus Christ loves me. Jesus Christ died for this irritating kid right here. And he wants me. And he saved me. He died for me. He rose for me. And he did the same for you. You may think everybody has bad self-esteem, I guess. And you may think nobody likes you. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. You know, the whole thing. But here's one thing you can take to the bank. Jesus Christ loves you. And if you have called on the name of the Lord and, and he has saved you, there is therefore now no condemnation that is ever coming to you. I may condemn you. The church may condemn you. The world may condemn you. But Jesus Christ will never condemn you. For him to condemn you, he'd have to condemn himself. We'll get to more of that later. I got to go on quickly. Look at this series of words. His death justified us. Verse 9, we were justified by his blood. Now, I have explained this word over and over. I'm telling you the best definition of this word is the exact definition. It is the legal term which means God declares you not guilty. The day that Jesus Christ came into my heart, the Holy Spirit birthed me and my old man died and I was resurrected to new life in Christ. In heaven, God from his throne declared, Ron Owen has no sin. Now we'll explain how that works in chapter 6 and 7 later. But I'm telling you, God declared I was perfect. Not on the basis of my righteousness. Oh, no. On the basis of the imputed righteousness of Christ given to us when we are saved. Amen. 
We were justified by his blood. His death was effective. Number two, verse nine, saved from wrath. Man, it's 1201. Y'all don't have anything to do. I'm going to go on for just a little bit longer. Please stay with me. I'm going to get to a point here. Now listen, saved from wrath. This, we do not think about this. Let me tell you something. Somebody comes up and tells you, listen, one day you're going to go to heaven. I know you're saved now, but you're going to go to heaven and God's going to view all your sins in front of you and make you look. It's going to be a sad day. It is never going to happen. That will never happen. How in the world can God bring up something that he said has been plunged into the sea of his forgetfulness? My friend, you will never suffer judgment, condemnation, negativity from God for your sin because Jesus paid it all. And he didn't just cover it. He took it away. Well, we are saved from eternal punishment. And that is the second death. We are saved from hell. This is made possible because in verse 6, he died for us. In verse 8, he died for us. In verse 9, it was by his blood. In verse 9, through him. Through him. Verse 10, through the death of his son. The wrath of God is poured out on the guilty. The wrath of God is poured out on the guilty. By his blood, we are not guilty. Therefore, we, we will experience no, listen to me, let me, listen, we will experience no judicial wrath or punishment of God for our sin. This is why I do not believe that we will go through the tribulation period. Now, there are many that disagree with me. Some in this building may. But the whole seven years of tribulation is the wrath of God for sin, Israel's sin in particular. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says this, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through what? Again, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved from wrath through him. In Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I'm telling you, you will never experience any intentional wrath of God for sin. You cannot. Jesus bore it in himself for you. The death of God, death of Christ, was a loving death. It was a loving death. He didn't love us if, he didn't love us because, he loved us in spite of what we were, ungodly. Listen, his death was gracious. He died when we were without strength. He died for us when we were ungodly. He died for us while we were sinners. He died for us when we were enemies. And his death was effective. He justified us by his blood. He saved us from wrath to come. And here's what we'll talk about next time. He reconciles us to God. 